sit down. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you want to stand here and hold the mic. <laughs> well, uh, welcome. This is a this is an amazing day, <clears throat> and for those of you um, who are either new to the faith or new to Harvest, if, if you're a visitor or you've just recently joined our church, I feel compelled to share with you some things that the Lord has placed on my heart about this very special place. But I want to do it in the context of the words that I wrote to be included in the bulletin. So if you would just pick up your bulletin and look on the front page. <clears throat> and on the third paragraph down... I wrote these words. The body of Christ stands in the middle ground between the gospel of truth and apostasy. The world, however, is no longer looking to the church for truth, for the church has been silent and has conformed to the myth. The time has long passed for the faithful to respond, but the opportunity is not lost. What should we do? What does the work of the kingdom look like? And what is Paul saying in this prophecy? Now, I want to be clear about this. I have something in my throat. I want to be clear about this. These words that the Lord has given me to write do not apply to this body of Christ. And I say that because this is an exceptional church. Uh, The Lord uh, spoke to me about um, five years ago, and he said, whenever you go away from this place and you have an opportunity to talk to people about Harvest Renewal Church, tell them that Harvest is a mega church. Now, I know most of you have in your mind this image of a better hold this thing. I know you have in your mind this image of what a mega church looks like. That's okay. I'm fine. I'll choke on that. Thanks. <laughs> you know, you, you think about a mega church as having a parking lot about ten times the size of the building, <clears throat> and you walk in, and they're just row after row after row of pews, and you wonder how in the world will they ever be filled, and they have a staff that numbers the size of our membership. Nonetheless, the Lord was very clear to me, Harvest Renewal Church is a mega church, and let me explain that to you. We have four amazing pastors, Doug and Cindy and Rifle, and where is Manny and Manny? Four amazing pastors who cleave to the truth that is God's holy word in every message they deliver. Four amazing pastors like that is characteristic of a megachurch. We have a worship team that is anointed in depth and gifts and talents. That's what you would find at a megachurch. We have a children's ministry. Now, you saw all these kids up here. Uh, If you ran the numbers, the number of children that we have in ministry here 
who walk, hear me when I say this, when they walk in signs and wonders, you would expect that from a mega church. There is something special about a harvest baby. Uh, there, have, <clears throat> there have been harvest babies that have traveled throughout the world with their parents. And I had this vision one time when Jan and Talita left harvest. And uh, I believe Talita was expecting at the time, wasn't she? So I had this vision <clears throat> that Talita would be pushing her child down the streets of Dubai and someone would come up to them and say, that's a harvest baby. So, <clears throat> if you ever looked at a map of the city of Richmond and you looked for Harvest Renewal Church, you would find that we are surrounded on all four sides. This building is surrounded on all four sides by property that is owned by the Commonwealth of Virginia. This is the only piece of privately owned property within blocks. And we have right out front a cross that we display not with pride, but with love and humility. If you were to take that cross and move it 75 feet across the street and plant it in front of one of those buildings over there, do you know what would happen? There would be demonstrations. There would be a human cry on the campus. Take down the cross because the cross has no standing on the public square. So when I say that the church is silent, it's because there are injustice, injustices that are being perpetrated in the world and the church has failed, in my, in my humble belief, has failed to project the truth in a powerful way so that these injustices pale to insignificance. So, for about the last 18 months, the Lord has really placed this burden on my heart. You know, when I, when I read the newspaper and I watch CNN and Fox News, I'm just overwhelmed with despair. And the Lord always says to me, uh, your trust is in the wrong place. Your trust must be, should be, and forever has to be in me. So the Lord just recently spoke to me, and, he, and the Lord said very clearly, my church will carry out its assignment because I have filled the church with my spirit. I have given the church my son. I have given the church the truth, and I have planted on the hearts of my children abiding love. And that's what this church preaches. But the Lord went on to say, that the church has become silent and the church has been invaded by the world. I want to say that again. The church has been invaded by the world. Now, I should pray peace on my pastor's heart <laughs> that he will know that I, am, that I will do no harm. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, I, I could spend a lot of time just giving you all the compelling evidence of what has happened in the world and what the church has not done in response. So the Lord said, be sure that this message is a message of hope. And so I said, Lord, you know my heart. You you know, and I confess to all of you, I have a cynical heart. Um, Doug and Cindy have been working on me for Almost a decade, uh, as, if, as if there were soft clay, and, and I'm beginning to respond to that. But I, I said, okay, Lord, what should the message be? Edward, would you put up that first slide, please? <clears throat> That's not the first slide. That's not the first slide either. (laughs) I suppose I could do this backwards. There you go. Fervency in the face of injustice. So the Lord said, focus on these two words, fervency and injustice. Um, Fervent is not a word that I use a lot. So I said to the Lord, you're going to have to help me here. That word just does not roll off my tongue with comfort, so speak to me. So the Lord said, well, you know, there's a verse in James, the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. That's a powerful message. It would do for me if the message said the prayer of a righteous man would avail much, but the word fervent is there for a reason. And so I think we need to focus on that. Um, There is, in the book of Acts, a story about Apollos, where, where Apollos is preaching in, preaching fervently in the Spirit, but he does not yet know the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He just knows the baptism of John the Baptist. Nonetheless, he was preaching the word with a fervent spirit. Now, in my Bible, spirit is a a lowercase spirit, implying that he was not preaching the word with the power of the Holy Spirit. He was preaching the word with fervency and with power and with great spirit. So, in my Bible, and I, and I want to refer you to my Bible. It's just my Bible. I want to refer you to what my Bible says. Would you put up the next slide? I have a great rabbi in my pastor rifle who often refers to the Strong's Concordance. Here's what my Bible says in quoting from Strong's about the word fervent. The Greek word is zeo, living fervor, fiery hot, full of burning zeal. It is the opposite of dignified, cold, and unemotional. In a Christian context, it signifies a highly spiritual temperature 
inflamed by the Holy Spirit. So when I read that, <clears throat> I was at once lifted up, and I, I also received peace. As I have confessed to all of my pastors, um, there is an anger in me that rises up whenever things are not as they should be. Uh, again, Doug and Cindy have been working on me for quite some time to, to pour oil over my anger. But... So now, I don't get angry. I just get inflamed by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so, I asked the Lord, um, what does this fervency look like? So he said, turn to Matthew twenty-one, thirteen. So I would invite you to take out your device... My device does not rely. What's the matter? Oh. Nope. I don't have it. Sorry. So, <clears throat> turn to Matthew, if you would, 21, 12, 13. Now, I know that we're all familiar with this verse, but I'm going to read it, these verses. <clears throat> Pardon me. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all of those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Now picture this. Our Savior, full of love and compassion and kindness, extending grace to all, is in the temple turning over furniture, and kicking people out of the church. You know, years ago I used to read that and, and say, okay, that's justification for my anger. The injustice here is fraud and deceit and turning the church into a den of thieves. That's the injustice. And so what was Jesus' response to that? Now, you may say in your heart of hearts that Jesus was incapable of anger. But I also know that Jesus was easily inflamed by the Holy Spirit. And that's where I put my trust and my rest. So I'm no longer angry. I just get inflamed just like Jesus did inflamed by the Holy Spirit, turning over furniture, kicking people out of church because of this gross injustice in the house of the Lord. So for me, that became a very important lesson for the church. The Lord said to me, the body of Christ should be turning over furniture, and not necessarily kicking people out of church, but gaining their attention and preaching the truth. So, um, you can turn that off now, please. I want to uh, digress for a moment and talk to you about my father. Can I have that? It's... 
it's really a story about the rubber band. Lots of rubber bands. I don't know if any of you have ever seen amongst the collection of your parents and grandparents anything like this. But there's an amazing story. I brought this out when Cindy and Doug were spending a couple of days with us, and I brought it out, and Doug said, what is that? And I said, that is a remnant of the Great Depression. Think about that. This is a remnant of the Great Depression. My father was born in 1919. The Great Depression began in 1929. My dad was 10 years old when the economy of the strongest nation in the world collapsed overnight. Some amazing stories talked about that event. Uh, if If you're not familiar with them, I would encourage you to read about what happened to this country almost overnight. The Great Depression lasted for 10 years. So during the formative days of my father's life, from 10 to 20 to 1939, his world was full of poverty, despair, homelessness, joblessness, a failed economy. But he was a blessed man, and he recognized that because my grandfather worked for the railroad. And the railroad was one of the few industries that actually thrived during the Great Depression. But because of that, the railroad slashed wages because they knew that they could save money in jobs because so many people were without them. So my grandfather ended up working two shifts on the railroad, and he did that for 15 years through the Great Depression and into the Second World War. So my dad was 20 years old when the Great Depression ended. In 1939, Goodyear started mass-producing rubber bands in this country. But in 1942, you could not steal a rubber band in this country because Goodyear had turned its production to to the war effort and they just weren't making rubber bands. They were making tires and tank treads. So when the war was over, my dad came home from Japan in 1946. He was part of the occupation force under MacArthur in Japan. His job was to travel all over the country of Japan and find unexploded ordnance and dispose of it. He did that for 18 months after the war was over. And um, he came back. The GI Bill had been established, and he was a beneficiary of it. In 1946, he bought a house, bought two cars, was happily married, and he was living the American dream. Now think about it. From 1939 until 1946, The nature of this country turned on a dime. We were, once again, the greatest country in the world. We had just defeated fascism and imperialism across the face of the globe, and we were victorious. And my dad was a beneficiary of that. He was living the American dream. And so that became very important to him, and he made the conscious decision to teach that to his son. 
And here's what he told me. He said, I believe in American exceptionalism. I believe that this is the greatest country on earth, that our founding documents, the Declaration of Independence, the Articles of Confederacy, and the Constitution of the United States were written by men who listened to what God had to say about them to create a government that would endure forever. Now, if you think about it, that's the same message that we find in the word about the body of Christ. The body of Christ will endure forever. So there's some very amazing parallels between the nature of our country and the assignment of the church, the assignment of the body of Christ. My father um, did not know the love of the Lord. He did not love the Lord. He feared the Lord. And he believed with all of his heart that just as the Bible was the inspired word of God, so was the Declaration of Independence and so was the Constitution of the United States. They were documents inspired by God. So, turn, turn on the next slide if you would, Edward. So, what has been our country's response to injustice in the world? You know, if you were, if you were here in church the Sunday before Memorial Day... Doug had asked me to, no, he didn't ask me. I had told him that I would like to deliver the Memorial Day message. And he said, I'll get back to you on that. (laughs) No, he said, you're in. So, you know, I, I talked about the just war theory. And in my mind, the only just war that we have ever fought was the Second World War. Now, you may not agree with me on that, um, and as I invited many of you, if you don't, I'd, I'd be glad to have that conversation with you over beer. <laughs> but I believe in my heart that that's the only just war this, this country has ever fought. And the reason I say that is because there was evil in the world, and there was inspired evil in the world. And had this country not made the decision to engage in the battle against fascism and imperialism, the world would be dramatically different today. We would be speaking a different language, and we would not be in this church. We would probably be in a gulag somewhere because you can't hide what the Lord has placed on your heart. So I believe just as this country rose up, inflamed by the Holy Spirit, so will the body of Christ raise up, inflamed by the Holy Spirit, to overwhelm and defeat injustice in the world. I believe that with all my heart. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about some of our fundamental rights in this country. So, Edward, thank you for putting up the next slide. Um, I have one correction to make. The next to the last bullet from the bottom, that's not Amendment 4. That's the Ninth Amendment to the Constitution. So, here's a little 
class on civics. All of us should know that the first ten amendments to the Constitution is the Bill of Rights. If you do your studies in history, you will find that the Bill of Rights come from the Declaration of Independence in which the writer said, all of us have received inalienable rights given by our Creator. So here's what they are. Freedom of speech, freedom to exercise religion, freedom to assemble as we are right now, freedom to petition the government to voice our grievance. That doesn't happen a lot, a lot in this country. But it's time for the church to petition the government and stand clearly on solid ground, which is the truth of God's holy word, and yell injustice. Maybe not yell. That's anger. But speak with fervor inflamed by the Holy Spirit. Right to bear arms. Now, I'm not going to go there in church. Um, There's a lot to be said there. Now, here's a couple of amendments that I think we don't pay a lot of attention to. Rights retained by the people. The Constitution of the United States says just because the Constitution says you have these rights, it does not mean that the states cannot also establish rights for individual citizens. It also says that the federal government may also empower the states to expand the rights of citizens. The Tenth Amendment is powerful, especially in this age, because it says if it's not in the Constitution, it does not mean that the states cannot establish regulations concerning the rights of its citizens. Over the last three decades, the federal government has ignored the Tenth Amendment and has taken from the states those things which are inherently their rights to ensure these freedoms for its citizens and has abridged them So our fundamental rights have been expanded to include these rights. If you were to compare, excuse me, if you were to compare this list of rights against the actions that the states have taken in the court against the federal government, to say that the federal government under the Constitution of the United States does not have the right to impose these things on its citizens. So where is the church? What is the church saying about these new rights? It is the law of the land now in the reinterpretation of the Constitution with regard to the First Amendment, that separation of church and state is more important than ensuring that government does not establish a religion. The separation clause gives the Supreme Court a divine headache.
They have wrapped themselves around this, and they have made the wrong decision. So what that means is um, if the current movement of organized atheism in this country has its way, every tombstone in every national park in this country that has a cross or a Star of David on it will come down. In God We Trust is coming down out of our courthouses. Uh, It would not surprise me if some progressive liberal in Congress does not introduce uh, legislation to take In God We Trust off our currency. We are becoming a godless nation. So the question is, where is the church? What are we to do? And how did we get here? Edward? One of the two of us are out of sync here. Go back one slide uh, to Second Timothy, if you would, please. There you go. I want to read this for emphasis. There will come a time when men will not endure sound doctrine. Now, is that not also for the state as much as it is for the church? But according to their own desires, and I love this, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their, their ears away from the truth and turn aside to fables. I, I don't know uh, how much faith you place in the polls and how much you follow the polls, but I recently, I guess about six months ago, read this uh, broad sweeping poll that was somewhat disturbing to me. 56% of those polled... In other words, if you extrapolate the results of the poll, 56% of the American people believe that the right to choice when it comes to abortion is acceptable. 58% now believe that same-sex marriage is acceptable. And so the ears of the American people have been tickled by great myth. And so where's the church? Where is the hue and cry from the pulpit that says this is injustice? God would say this is injustice upon my people. God says only I have exclusive domain over the sanctity of life. And I have defined for you very clearly in my word what the sanctity of marriage looks like. And I have spoken clearly that when men love men and men dress like women, it's an abomination. But now the Supreme Court has established a woman's right to choose between life and death for her unborn child. That is the law of the land. It's the law of the land. I mean, just recently, Texas um, had just passed um, a piece of legislation which made it difficult 
for women to seek abortions because they elevated the level of medical requirements for abortion clinics to those of hospitals, which meant that the doors had to be wide enough for a gurney to get through. It means, meant that doctors had to be associated with hospitals and not just independently uh, run abortionists. Uh, but the Supreme Court found that unconstitutional. Now, where in the Constitution does it say that a woman has an unquestionable right to terminate the life of her unborn child? Going back to Article 10 of the Constitution, it, or I'm sorry, Amendment Number 10 of the Constitution, it says those rights not specifically enumerated for the federal government in the Constitution belong to the states. So it is the state's responsibility to set those laws. And we're allowed to do that. States have made the effort to make abortion illegal. Now, I'm looking around at the eyes of all the women who are saying, what, at least what I'm hearing, what do you know? I'm, I'm obviously not a man. I mean, sorry. <laughs> I am obviously not a woman. Okay, I'm going to start over. I am obviously not a woman. So the question would be, what do I know about a woman's right to privacy? And that's the basis upon which the law has been ruled by the Supreme Court. It's a woman's right to privacy. Government has no right making those decisions for them. My response to, to that would be, as I think the church's response should be, God has already made that decision. And there's no reason for that to be revisited by the courts. God has made that decision. God says, I knew you before the foundations of the earth were formed, I knew you in your mother's womb. I, I know many of you have probably um, had friends who have had abortions, um, and, and there is a hole in the middle of their souls. Because I, I believe that God says to many women who have had an abortion, I have already made this decision. And you have decided to exercise your free will over mine for the life of your child. And so now, there is a new injustice. How many of you have school-aged children? Raise your hand. And of those who have your hands in the air, how many of you have children in public schools? Well, we need to pray for you. Inflamed by the Holy Spirit. You know, I, my wife and I have a daughter and a son, and I remember when they were school-aged children in public schools, if someone were to tell me that a single person in their school was confused about their gender, and therefore, depending on what day of the week it is, and this might be an exaggeration, they may think that they are a, 
a girl one day and the next day a boy. And so they then get to choose which bathroom they go to, which locker room they go to. Where is the foolishness in this? And so the, the body of Christ should be teaching as this church teaches that our identity is in Jesus Christ, not in our whimsical belief that we can be whatever we want to be whenever we want to be it. We should be teaching our children these things. I know that's what faith is teaching our children. I know that she is teaching them that their identity is in Christ. So, I may be wrong, but if if any of you here today have this comforting sense that the church is speaking out fervently about this incredible injustice, raise your hand. If you really feel like the church is on the forefront leading the battle against this nonsense, raise your hand. Um, so, what do we do? Edward, Matthew 24, please. Now, week before last, I took this scripture to my rabbi. I have a rabbi. All of you have a rabbi. Raise your hand, rifle. I call him Rabboni. <laughs> he is my rabbi. So I took this scripture to rifle and I said, in that last sentence when Jesus said, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. Now I have to confess to you that my Baptist upbringing, my Baptist theology said, oh no, here's another precondition for salvation And so the Baptist church has armed me for that. And the Baptist church says, wring your hand, gnash your teeth, wail and cry out in your private place. Just hang on for the end. And when you die, your eternal life will begin. Well, um, our church doesn't preach that. Uh, When you accept Jesus Christ into your life, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, your eternal life begins in that moment, in that very moment. So I said, Rifle, what does this mean? And I think what he said was, your endurance will be a characteristic of your salvation because you have received power and authority to stand up against injustice and you will overcome Is that what you said, Rifle? (laughs) So, I was called to go to the Word um, and study this word endure because I believe it means more than just hanging on. Edward? So, in Strong's Concordance, there is... There is in the last sentence defining endurance. It says, active 
energetic resistance to defeat that allows calm perseverance. So what that meant to me was, the Lord said, Bishop, my challenge to you is be inflamed by the Holy Spirit, but be calm. Do not let fear overcome you. Your trust is in me. And then back to 2 Timothy. At the end of that verse I put up earlier, Paul says to Timothy, but you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of evangelist, and fulfill the ministry. Now that's what we do at Harvest Renewal Church. But I want to place a little emphasis on the first line there. But you be watchful in all things. It means pay attention. Keep your eyes open. Stay in the truth. When you see something, put it in perspective of God's will for his church and his will for his people. Do not be afraid. Gird yourself for the fight. Go to Ephesians. Renew your mind through understanding what spiritual warfare really looks like. Gird yourself for this battle. And at the same time, do the work of the evangelist. Are we not all called to go out in the world and make disciples of men, teaching them everything that Christ has laid on our hearts? How much different would the world look if the body of Christ in all of its numbers all over the country raised up, inflamed by the Holy Spirit. I love that. I love that. You're going to see me one day walk in smoking. (laughs) And fulfill your ministry. I, I believe, and this is new to me, about six years new to me, that all of us are called into ministry. Every one of us have something to say, not only before believers, but in front of unbelievers, but also on the public square by fulfilling ministry. And here's the last slide and the last thought, and I am right on time, Doug. Here's what Bill Johnson, how many of you know who Bill Johnson is? If you don't know who Bill Johnson is, rush right out and buy this book, When Heaven Invades Earth. Uh, if, if, you are not on, if you're not already standing on your head, this book will turn your world around. It is an amazing book. There's an amazing message And my wife and I, amazingly, were asked to leave our church because I taught from this book. And my pastor said, not in my church. So, short story, my wife and I decided it's time for us to leave because my pastor said, it's time for you to leave. (laughs) We're very intuitive So we started looking for a church. Guess where the first 
church was that we landed. God flew us over harvest, threw us out without a parachute, and we landed safely in this church. Now, I know what I know, and this is what I know. God delivered us from a church that was withholding the truth from us so that we could be delivered to a church that would preach the truth to us. I believe with all my heart that there is embedded in Scripture mysteries. For some of us, there are mysteries that are hidden from us because we aren't prepared to take on the burden of those mysteries, and there are mysteries that are hidden for us. In every day of my life, since my wife and I came to this church, my pastors have revealed more and more of the mystery that God heretofore had hidden from me. There is a light emanating from this church that is at once both brilliant and protecting. We are in the midst of public property but we boldly yet humbly display the sign of our faith on the front door and in the front yard. And I know every time a student from VCU walks past this place, there is a tug on their heart because there's a hole in their soul that they know will be filled here. And that hole is not being filled just by our pastors. It's being filled by all of us And so, again, if this is your first time at Harvest, I would encourage you to make this your home and then strap in. (laughs) Thank you.